It's good to be with you tonight. Thank you everyone for being here to worship our God and to study his word. Thank you for the opportunity to lead you in those thoughts tonight. I appreciate uh, everyone for, for your attention tonight. Well, I had Joseph read a lengthy reading for us tonight because there's a lot of good things in that reading. And we won't touch on all of the things in that verse, but there are a lot of important uh, implications for us from that passage, uh, familiar passage about Nadab and Abihu. Some question why we insist on specifics about how we do things. For example, there are some who would say, why would you be worried about the work and worship of the church and the organization of the church? Why be so particular about that? Why insist that we just worship the way that God told us to worship? Why does it really matter? Why worry about how the church functions and its organization? Why does that really matter? Some would say, you know, I think it's just being nitpicky. And I think we're just maybe making mountains out of molehills. We're, we're being too worried about the particulars. Because they would say it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you love God and you do something towards him that you call worship or service to him, it doesn't really matter how you do that. Because really all that God cares about is your heart. And if you're sincere in what you're doing, then it doesn't really matter. And God's just going to look at your heart. And he's not really too worried about the particulars. Well, the account of Nadab and Abihu, for one, would show us that God does care about the particulars. God cares that we are obeying him. Tonight, I want to look at this question. Is my heart all that matters? Does God just care about my heart and he's not too cared about the particulars? Are we being too picky? Let's answer that question together tonight. Well, first off, we have to acknowledge that God does want us to have our heart right with him. If our heart's not right, it doesn't matter. In Isaiah, or sorry, Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, beginning. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These people were doing a lot of things toward God, but the problem that Jesus had with them was their heart wasn't right. That was the problem. Their heart wasn't right. And so if, it, if our heart is not right, it doesn't matter what we do, Jesus would say. You've got to get your heart right. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, Matthew chapter 18, verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I can say I forgive you, but if it's not in my heart, Jesus ain't going to do any good. I'm not going to get forgiveness if I don't do it from my heart, if my heart is not right. In Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to, to men. Not only does a bond servant need to obey his master and service master, but Jesus, uh, Paul says here, you got to do it from your heart. You've got to have the right attitude, the right heart. You know, I could begrudge that service to my master. I could do it, but all the time be grumbling and begrudging that. Is that going to be all right? No. I could be the best servant that master has. And I could go the extra mile, but if I'm not doing it with the right heart, Paul says he's not going to do any good. I've got to have my heart right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 
Therefore, whatever you eat, or whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What I do has to be done with the right purpose and right attitude or the right heart, or it's not going to be pleasing to him. Finally, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24, Paul salutes the brethren. He says, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. We could go on and multiply passages that show us that if our heart isn't right, God is not going to be pleased with us. No matter what we do, if our heart is not right, God's not going to be happy. I want to tell you, sincerity does not justify disobedience. There are people who say, okay, I'm going to get my heart right with God, and then it doesn't matter how I live. As long as I sincerely want to be pleasing to God, God doesn't really care. Maybe God will give me a pass as long as I'm sincere. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning of verse 3. You remember that David is wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And the, uh, they are bringing it back, but they're not bringing it back in the right way. They're not bringing it back. You remember the Ark of the Covenant had those rings on the corner, and they'd stick those poles through the Ark, and then they'd carry it on their shoulders, but they couldn't touch the Ark, but they were to carry it on those rods on their shoulders. Well, they decided they were going to put it on a cart. There's your first mistake. But that method of transportation had its flaws. It wasn't per God's design. And notice what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a, the hill, and Uzziah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the cart, the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Benadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put, his hand, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, why did Uzzah put his hand on the ark? Did he have some kind of wicked motivation? Was he, was he trying to do something that he, that, that he wanted to maybe elevate his pride? Like, I, I saved the ark. No, I think he just wanted to keep the ark from falling over. He wanted to protect that precious thing that God had ordained for them. Sincere as could be, but he was wrong, wasn't he? And God was not pleased with him. Even though he was sincere, he disobeyed God, and he was punished. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We've got another example of someone who was sincere, I believe. Perhaps, it's hard to know. But we see Saul here has disobeyed God, and God is not pleased no matter what he does. God's not pleased. No matter what his heart is, God's not pleased. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. God commands King Saul to destroy every person and beast of Amalek. Go now, verse 3 of 1 Samuel 15, and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, Camel and donkey, it's pretty clear, isn't it, what God wants? God wants everything destroyed. God's bringing punishment against Amalek. 
Saul doesn't do what God said to do, though. Look at verse 15 of 1 Samuel 15. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. You remember that Samuel comes to Saul and says, What is going on here? I thought we were wiping everything out, and there's, it's not all been wiped out. And Saul says, Well, you know, we did save some of it because we wanted to sacrifice it. And say, oh, that's okay. Hey, that's that's good. That's noble. That's a good that's a good attitude, a good intention. Your heart's right, okay. No, what does he say? Saul was told uh, that he was wrong. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Saul said, I did what God said to do. Saul wasn't too worried about the particulars here, was he? He said, I did what God said to do, but Samuel said that he had not, that he had disobeyed. Look at verse 22. Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king didn't matter what Saul's intentions were. He didn't obey. It didn't matter how much sacrifice he wanted to give to God, where his heart was, he did not obey God. Sincerity is not an excuse for disobedience. I'll tell you, the end does not justify the means. There are a lot of people who look at the end or what could be accomplished and say it doesn't matter how you get there, what you do, the ends will justify the means. Saul said, hey, we disobeyed God, but look, God gets a sacrifice out of it. Doesn't matter. God's not happy with disobedience. I want to tell you, we can be guilty of the same. In our efforts to do good, we can be guilty in believing that whatever means are necessary to accomplish the good thing are justified. As long as good results, then it must be okay. And that is not true. This story shows us it's not. There are a lot of people who are ignoring what God said to do so they can accomplish something they think is good. For example, churches will hold bake sales to raise money to send a preacher on a mission trip somewhere. And say, so, well, look, he's going to spread the gospel, and we can have a bake sale, we can have a car wash, we can do whatever, we can sell raffle tickets and, and, and encourage people to gamble, we can do all kinds of things, but look, the preacher gets to go preach. Is that okay? No. We're disobeying what God said to do about how we would collect funds. The ends do not justify the means. There are people who distort the organization of the church. So they do, can do what they would call promoting evangelism. And folks who claim to be churches of Christ are engaged in this with their missionary societies or a form of a missionary society, they won't call it that, with things like the World Bible School and with the sponsoring church arrangement because they say, look, how many people we can reach. We could talk to Roland about how that becomes very perverted. Because we ignore what God said to do about how to accomplish his work. But say, well, people say, well, as long as good is done, then it doesn't matter how we do it. We're sincere. We want to do good. 
And so God will just ignore the disobedience. We need to understand one principle that is so fundamental. And that is if something is good, the scriptures will tell us how to do it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God tells me how I can be equipped for every good work. I need to do what it says to do. I need to obey the Bible. If I'll obey what God said to do, I will be equipped for every good work. The ends does not justify the means. There are a lot of people who are engaged in unauthorized activities as a church because they think it will do good. There are people who are building gymnasiums with basketball courts because they think it will bring people to the church. They are engaged in various types of unscriptural activities because look at how many people it might bring. The ends do not justify the means, as we learn from Saul, as we learn from Uzzah. There are people who are worshiping God in ways that are unauthorized because in their mind they think it will draw people closer to God. And that's what we're about, isn't it? And so we can worship God with the band. We can worship God with the light show. We can worship God any way that we want because we're trying to accomplish of getting people closer to God. The ends do not justify the means. Sincerity does not justify disobedience. I tell you, God expects us to be obedient over and over and over again. We see that God's expectation is that we obey. Now, certainly our heart has to be right. Certainly we have to be sincere. We've already proven that. But we'd also need to look at the other side of the coin here. God expects obedience over and over again. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The scribes and Pharisees were being obedient. They were being obedient down to paying tithes of their spices. Very meticulous. Very picky. They had a problem. Their heart wasn't right. They hadn't, uh, they hadn't had uh, matters of the heart right. Justice and mercy and faith. God, Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, you just needed to get your heart right. If you'd gotten your heart right, you didn't have to worry about all that other stuff. Now, Jesus said, you should have done these. You should have done this. You should have been obeying me. You need to have your heart right too. Matthew 6, verse 46. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus talked to some people here who had their heart right, I think. At least they called him Lord, but they weren't obeying him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus, having been perfected, became the author of eternal salvation to all who have their heart right. All who are sincere. All who are really wanting to please God with their heart. No, all those who obey him. We have to be obedient. We have to be obedient. Jesus and God expect us to be obedient. But I want to tell you that being obedient does not justify us not having our heart right. 
Just as having our heart right doesn't justify disobedience, nor does obedience justify not having our heart right. In Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 beginning. Matthew 15, beginning of verse 7. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, this, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These people are drawing near to him. They're doing things, but their heart's not right. Jesus said it's not going to work. If your heart's not right, it's not going to work. If you're not obeying, it's not going to work. It takes both. Jesus, God, expect us to have our heart right and expect us to be obedient. I want to tell you, though, we talk about them being separate ideas, but I want to tell you that you can't have one without the other. If you're going to really be obedient to God, your heart's going to be right. And if you're really going to have your heart right, you're going to obey. You can't have one without the other. In John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If your heart truly is right, you're going to want to keep God's commandments. And if you really want to keep God's commandments, you're going to get your heart right. They go hand in hand. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. There are people in the world today who will claim that they love God all day long, and they would argue you to the death that they love God while they blatantly ignore his commands. And they read his commands in black and white. And they know what his commands are, but they say, God doesn't care. I just love God. No, you don't. No, you don't. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but God says you don't love him. If you love him, you keep his commandments. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And this is how we know that uh, we are with God. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now this, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. This is how we know, by keeping his commandments. This is how we know our heart is right. This is how we know that we're in him. And I will tell you, the story of Nadab and Abihu teaches us that God is concerned about the particulars. And if we don't observe the particulars, it shows us that our heart is not right. There's an important thing that God says after the incident of Nadab and Abihu. Look back in Leviticus chapter 10. Look back in Leviticus chapter 10, beginning of verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They didn't obey. Now, some might have said, well, their heart was right. They still wanted to offer sacrifice. Well, notice what God did. The Lord, so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. God wasn't pleased. But I want to tell you, this incident shows us that their heart wasn't right. Look at verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. What Nadab and Abihu did in disobeying God was they failed to show him the honor that he deserved. 
and they failed to glorify him. How is that? They were offering sacrifice to God, and there are people in the religious world today say, well, look, they're sacrifice. That's glorying God, and that's honoring him. Why didn't it glorify God and honor him? Because they didn't obey what he said to do. Think about it this way. What if you were at work and your boss says, I want you to do this and this and this. And you do this and this and this, exactly the opposite of what he said. Are you honoring your boss? Absolutely not. Would it have worked with your parents if they had given you an instruction when you were a child? I want you to do this and then this, and you did the opposite of that? You're dishonoring your parents. When we don't obey God, we're dishonoring God. We're thumbing our nose at what he said. We say, no, God, you don't know. I know better than you. This is how we need to do it. God, you said to worship you this way, but I really like it this way. Who wins? Who's being glorified? I'm being glorified, aren't I? If I worship the way that I want to worship. If I disregard God, I'm the one who's being glorified. And I want to tell you, if we don't obey God, if we're not obedient, then we aren't a disciple. We're not a disciple unless we follow the master. That's how it works. That's what being a disciple means. A disi being a disciple means you do what your teacher says to do. And if you stray from that, you're no longer his disciple. You've gone astray. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Being a disciple means you follow the leader. If we're not following, we're not his disciple. Do you see? I'll take it one step farther. If we don't follow, if we don't obey, then Jesus isn't our Lord. Luke 6, verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You see, those are opposite ideas. If I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and not follow him, he's not my Lord. If he's my Lord, that means master, that means I do what he says. It matters how we live. You can't have one without the other. Your heart has to be right, and you have to obey. And if you're obeying, your heart will be right. And if your heart is right, you will obey. You can't have one without the other. God expects both our heart and obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, Look at verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, there's your heart, and to walk in all his ways, there's your obedience, and to love him, there's your heart, and to serve the Lord your God, there's your obedience, with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day for your good. What did God expect of the children of Israel in the Old Testament? their heart, and their obedience, both. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Your heart, fear God, keep his commandments. God wants both. And I want to tell you, you're not fearing God if you don't keep his commandments. <clears throat> And you're not keeping his commandments, and if you don't fear him, they go hand in hand, don't they? To be pleasing to God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, it hasn't changed in the New Testament. 
Under Christ, God expects the same. If Romans chapter 6, verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. Obeyed from the heart. Not just obeyed, but you obeyed from the heart. You had your heart right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here we see it both as well. And we focus on this verse a lot when it comes to Bible authority, but notice we have both concepts presented here. We're going to do what he said to do. We're going to do it in the name of the Lord. We're going to do it with the right attitude by giving thanks. Our heart and our actions our heart and obedience. John 4, verse 24, those who God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. These concepts go together over and over again in the Bible. If you want to be pleasing to God, you obey him and you do it with the right heart. And if you want to have the right heart, you obey him. They go together. And that brings us then to the question that some will ask. And that is, then, are you saying that sincere people are going to hell? There are a lot of people that are sincere in their service to God. There are a lot of people who are making sacrifices to serve God with a sincere heart. Are you saying those people aren't pleasing to God? I'm not the one who's the judge. But I know what the judge said. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There were people who were serving God, or at least they thought they were serving God. They were, I believe, sincere in that. They called Jesus their master. The problem is he wasn't their master. He didn't know them. Why didn't he know them? Because they weren't being obedient. They weren't doing the instructions that he said to do. You know, these people who would argue with us and say, that they believe that sincere people are going to go to heaven and not go to hell. Many of those people would agree that a person has to be a Christian in order to be saved. Would those same people agree that a well-intentioned or sincere Muslim would be saved? Or a well-intentioned, sincere Buddhist would be saved? Or maybe even a well-intentioned atheist would be saved? They would say that sincerity is enough. Will they say it's enough to be sincere as a Muslim or a Buddhist? They'd probably draw the line there, wouldn't they? they say, no, you got to at least be a Christian. I want to tell you, if we're going to draw a line, let's draw it where the Bible draws it. Let's draw the line where the Bible draws it, that you have to obey God from the heart to be pleasing to him. That's what the scriptures teach. God expects us to obey him from the heart. He wants our heart in the right place. But just having your heart in the right place, just being sincere, doesn't justify disobedience. He wants us to obey. But just being obedient and not having your heart in the right place doesn't justify not having your heart right. You truly can't have one without the other, and God expects both. The question for us tonight is, are we obeying 
in spirit, and in truth. Are we obeying from the heart that form of doctrine that we've received? Are we applying ourselves to learning what God wants from us and then doing it every day? You're here tonight and not a Christian. There's no better time than right now to become one. If you're a Christian and you've strayed, there's no better time than right now to correct that. If we can help you, let us know while we stand and sing.